This morning, that little story popped into my brain because we're talking about the Apostle Peter and his relationship with Jesus. And last week, for those of you who were with us online or on campus uh, or on demand through the week, um, you know that we, we talked about what it meant for, for Jesus to meet Peter. That really, that, that day when, when Jesus borrowed the boat wasn't the first time that Jesus and Peter had met. In fact, Peter had been in the synagogue when Jesus showed up in Capernaum after his family uh, back in Nazareth and his hometown had rejected his Messiahship. And, and when he showed up uh, in Capernaum and, and threw a demon out of a man in the, in the synagogue, then Peter, who was there, invited him home to his house for, for a meal. And, and when they got home, they found out that Peter's mother-in-law was, was ill and she wasn't able to help. And, and Simon asked if Jesus would go upstairs and pray for his mother. And, and Jesus did. And, and his mother-in-law was healed instantly. And so when people found out that dozens, if not hundreds of people showed up at the end of Sabbath that day to come into Peter's home and, and to, to have Jesus pray. And we talked about the fact that Jesus prayed for them one by one by one until everyone had been healed. And then it was days later when Jesus showed up, massive crowd of people, and he's teaching. And as he's teaching, he realizes he needs to get a little distance from the crowd, and so he turns, and there's Peter and James and John, his business partners, and Peter, Peter lets him use his boat. The story continues. We talked last week about the fact that when Jesus does an intervention in your life like that, he also gives you an invitation. An invitation just like he's given you and me in the 21st century. An invitation to be a part of what he's doing, to launch your life as a member of the kingdom of God and live in that way. And so today we wanna pick up on that relationship and it's with that classic story that Daniel was referencing. The story of when Jesus walked on the water in the midst of a storm and Peter stepped out of a boat where he had been with the other disciples, fearing the wind and the waves and the hard times. And he, and he was in that fearful state when Jesus showed up, and now they're afraid of Jesus. We'll talk about it a little bit more as we work our way through the passage this morning, but, but here's the part that always blows my mind, is that the same Peter who was in a boat filled with fish that Jesus had caused him to be able to catch and turned to Jesus and said, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. I'm not worthy to be in your presence. I've seen what you've done, healing people and throwing out demons and now all these fish. You're just, man, you are too good for me. Depart from me. That same guy, now months or years later, when Jesus shows up in the middle of the storm and, and Jesus, Jesus, they think, is a ghost, an apparition walking on the water, and Peter says, bid me come to you. What is it that, that changes a person from being, get away from me, you're too good for me, to come, come and let me step into your life. Bid me come to you. What makes that change inside a person? What causes a person to move from fear and reluctance to embrace and faith? And, and then for those of us who, who do struggle with anxiety, and fear. 
to understand that what does it mean to, to live with a confidence that no matter what we face, no matter what we face, Jesus will always be there. So the story of Jesus walking on the water is a story of what it means to launch your life in a sense of confidence in Jesus rather than fear of the circumstances. To launch your life in spite of the fear. Launching is a hard thing. Launching causes us to, to have pieces of our world that become disassociated with us, pieces of our world that, that fall behind us. Uh, when my wife and I were young pastors in Chattanooga, Tennessee, we were invited to leave that church after nine years and serve in Daytona Beach, Florida at White Chapel Church of God there. We arrived in January of 1992, and, and people in the church were like, oh, this is going to be a great place for your kids to be raised. It's going to be an awesome experience, things they would have never experienced in the Deep South. I'm like, I'm from the Deep South. We have everything we need. Thank you very much. And they said, do you have a space shuttle? I said, no. I said, we do. In fact, I said, that's, in, that's down at Cape Canaveral. That's, that's 75 miles south of here. They said, oh, no. It is 75 miles south, but when the space shuttle is launched, you can feel it in Daytona Beach. I'm like, no, you can't do it. They said, well, you may have to go out to the ocean. If you'll go out to the beach side, and, and, and that when there's a space shuttle launch, you'll be able to feel the earth move, and you'll be able to see the shuttle as the different stages disengage as it's launched. I'm like, that sounds pretty speculative to me. I, I, mean, I mean, we're 75 miles away. I mean, in Tennessee, if, if 75 miles, there's at least four mountains between you and whatever you're trying to look at. I mean, th there's no way I'm going to be able to see that. Although it did remember that on top of Lookout Mountain, you can see seven states if you want to pay enough at the park there to go to the one spot where you can see seven states from Lookout Mountain. And I thought, well, it's worth a shot. And so in March of that year, after we'd moved there in January, there was a shuttle launch. And so Becky and I took the boys out, and we, we stood on the beach with hundreds of other people. We weren't prepared like everybody else. We weren't Floridians yet, right? Uh, not only did we forget the sunscreen and all of that kind of thing, but, but we also forgot the, you know, the, the binoculars. And I'm like, oh, sure, with binoculars you can see. You know, there are people out there like they're watching for an eclipse or something, right? And then... What happens? The shuttle takes off, and they didn't lie to me. You, I, I'm sitting there looking, I'm like, the, I can feel this beach trembling. And then I, I look on the horizon, and I can see the shuttle going up. And I can see the different stages disengage as it goes into the sky. And it was really, as they told me, quite marvelous. And I tell you that this morning because here's what I know. Some things I think, some things I know. This I know. If you will launch your life into the kingdom of God, if you'll accept the invitation that Jesus gave Peter to become a person who is a, a fisher for other people rather than just a fisher for fish, if you'll be a part of this kingdom of God that reaches far beyond anything you've ever experienced in your human existence, if you'll allow the divine to interact and intervene into who you are, then you're going to launch a part of your life, and there may be some trembling, and there may be some d 
disruption. But the fact of the matter is, when you take flight, when you launch, then that launch will change your life's trajectory forever. And so I want us to look at this story of Jesus and Peter walking on the water and find the launch points. There are, there are three launch points in this story. Three places where, where what's going on in the relationship between Jesus and Peter begins to, to set Peter on a higher trajectory. And I believe that it will set you and me on a higher trajectory as well. The first thing to know is this, that this story of the, of the boat and the storm and Peter and Jesus walking on the water comes in, in three of the four gospels where it's recorded. The author records it right after the feeding of the 5,000. Do you remember the feeding of the 5,000? The story where, where Jesus takes loaves and fishes and he feeds 5,000 men plus the women and children who were there. Do you remember the context of that story? How Jesus had been teaching and the crowds were, were coming all around him. And, and, and as they're coming around him, it gets later and later in the day and the disciples come to him and say, hey, teacher, we, we, we got to feed these people. I mean, there, there's not enough food. What are we going to do? And Jesus, I love this. Jesus looks and says, well, what do you have? Well, what have you got? It's easy for us to see the problem. It's not as easy for us to find the solution. And Jesus in this feeding of the 5,000 is looking at the guy saying, look, you have it within you. You have the solution right there within you. Just find it. And they're going, we don't have anything. We've got these loaves and these fish. Some of you, when we talk about life and, and ministry and the kingdom of God and opportunities to share the gospel, you're like, not me. I don't have anything. No, no, it's there in you. You just haven't seen it yet. And finally, one of them says to Jesus, well, Jesus, we've got these loaves and these fish, but what are they in light of all of these people? And Jesus, Jesus sees the opening for the kingdom. And he says, okay, give me what you've got. And, and the scriptures are really, really beautiful when, when it says that Jesus takes the bread and the fish, he blesses them. And when he blesses them, he then sends the disciples, he commands them. All right, you've broken the crowd down into groups. Now I want you to take what I just prayed for and go hand it to each group, to each person in each group. Can you imagine? The disciples are standing there looking and you know, he just prayed for like this lunch for one person. And he's expecting us to go and feed these others. And when he does, when he steps out and they take it, and they begin to one group by another group by another group. And at every group, there's still more food. And at the end of the day, they fed all the thousands of people and they have 12 baskets left over. And then Jesus looks at them and says, you know what? I need you to get in the boat and leave and go where we're going. But I need to go up. I'll dismiss the crowd. I'll take care of everything. And then I'm going up on the mountain to pray. To, to, to go up on the mountain to pray is a powerful part of the story. But what's also powerful that we miss is that Jesus had just told them exactly what he wanted them to do. And when they did it, when they were obedient, they saw a miracle. They saw thousands of people fed with one individual's resources. And then what happened? 
Jesus says, I want you to get in the boat. And nobody argued. What I love is when you see God work in one spot, when you really see God do a work and you open your eyes and you don't let it be clouded by your own paradigms, instead you allow God to open up what he wants to do, then, then suddenly your whole world changes because now you're a part of the kingdom of God. And when Jesus says, go get in the boat, you're like, yes, sir, I'm going to get in the boat. <laughs> because I just saw you do something amazing. But listen to the story. As I read the way Matthew, who by the way, was one of the guys in the boat, tells the story in Matthew chapter 14. Immediately after feeding the 5,000, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat, by this time, was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And then Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. I love that. One word. Peter, you got a question? Yeah. Is that you? Bid me come. Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt me? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. You see, what happens when we obey God is not that obedience leads to everything going perfectly. No, no, obedience leads us in many cases against the wind, <laughs> against the winds of, of culture, against the winds of life. I, these guys obeyed and, and they're thinking, man, we just saw a miracle and, and we're just gonna follow Jesus and then they get out and, and as the boat's going across and in the spot where, where Jesus was and where they were headed to, uh, the, the Sea of Galilee is about five miles wide or so at that point. And when they got there, they, they're out overnight. Now remember, they're there going against the winds. The fear is real. My friends, don't, don't give in to the people who tell you that your anxiety and your fear are not real. If a bear jumps out of the woods, God made you to run. The fear is real. You should be afraid of some things. Like those of you who are, I'm not afraid of anything. Mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. I have a three-year-old granddaughter, and uh, I... I giggled one day as I listened to an interaction between her and my son because she's got a little concern about some monsters in her house. And every night, her daddy does a little thing 
that drives the monsters away. And she, at three years old, is absolutely certain he drives all the monsters away. And the reason I giggled as I listened to him was not because of the naivete of the three-year-old. It was because I saw her daddy when he was three years old, and I used to box the monsters out of his room. I'd shadow box every monster that was in that closet and underneath that bed and around that corner. I could whip every one of those monsters. Probably couldn't whip any of y'all, but, uh, but I could do that. And it hit me as I listened to my three-year-old granddaughter talking to my son about what it means for a protector to be there, for someone to be in your world. It's okay to be afraid. God wired you to be afraid. There are things that you should fear, but he also is the same one who steps into your fear and says, you don't have to let it rule you. Fear not. See, that's where we get into trouble. The reason we can't move from fear to fear not is because we think we're the one who's supposed to be in charge. We think we're the one who's supposed to fix the problem. We think we're the one who's supposed to make it all look good. And the reality is, that Jesus has that job, and he's not giving it up for you. You see, when the disciples were on the Sea of Galilee and the wind that came up in the storm was raising the waves, I love the way the scripture said it. Did you hear it when I read it? It said they were looking at the wind. Look at it. as Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. The wind was against them. But Jesus knew exactly where they were. Jesus knew exactly what was going on. You see, when he went up on that mountain to pray, it's that mountain that gave him vision. It's that place of prayer that gave him observation. See, Jesus never loses sight of the boat. And he never loses sight of us. And an interesting piece is that he didn't go to them until the fourth watch of the night, which is sometime between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. And they've been out there since the other night. I mean, they've been there all night rowing the boat, trying to get it to go, trying to go where they wanted to go. They were laboring hard, and Jesus is watching them labor. Jesus is not a magic genie that you rub the jar and he comes out. No, 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 no. You don't rub that lamp and have it come out. No, no. Jesus is God. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. And he is sitting right now, I love this, at the greatest point of visibility in the world. Because he's higher than any mountain. You know where Jesus is? The scriptures tell us. Every once in a while I have some people say, how do you know where Jesus is? Because the scriptures tell us. He is sitting at the right hand of God the Father in the heavenly courts. And you know what you can see from the heavenly courts? Are you ready? Everything. You can see everything. You can see the disobedience, you can see the rebellion, you can see the grace, you can see the mercy, you can see the obstacles, you can see the storms. That's exactly what Jesus wanted the disciples to know. I'm on the mountain praying for you. You're in the sea in the middle of the storm. My friend, I don't know what your storm is today, but what I know is this. Jesus is praying for you. Jesus wants you to know there is no storm in your life bigger than he is. And he knows you by name. I love the imagery in John chapter 10. 
about Jesus as the good shepherd. I love the imagery of, of Jesus as the good shepherd who knows his disciples, who knows his sheep by name, who actually says that, that his sheep will answer his voice. And when they hear his voice, they respond to his voice. And if they hear the voice of someone else, they don't respond to that in the same way because he is their shepherd. He cares for them. He watches them and he calls them by name. And so Jesus is on the mountain and the disciples are in the boat and Jesus is in heaven and you're in a post-pandemic world and you've got to know Jesus knows exactly where you are because he sees all of us and he never loses sight of where you are. Look at it again. In the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. My friends, whether you're on campus or online or on demand later this week, please know this. You are not alone. And Jesus will not abandon you. And you got to know that when he sees it get to the place where, where you're really ready to move from depart from me to ask me to come to you, he steps right where you need him to be. So Jesus leaves the mountain and he walks toward the boat. And the disciples, here's the part that gets me, even when Jesus shows up and they know Jesus, these are the people who lived with him. They shared bread with him. They shared lodging with him. They, they shared life with him. And when he shows up in the midst of their storm, they don't recognize him. Some of you have been going to church for your entire life and you still don't recognize Jesus. Some of you, have been, some of you think you got it all down pat and you know all how to make it work and you still don't recognize Jesus when he's at work because the winds are pretty, pretty wild. And the waves, the waves run pretty high. But what this story is here to remind us and what all of Scripture is here to tell us is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and he knows you by name and he calls you with his voice and that thing you feel in your heart, that tug you feel that you could be more than who you are, he put that there. And he wants you to know that no matter what's happening in your life, he sees you. Please hear that. You are seen and you are known by the person who knows you best, who created you, who spoke the entire world into being. I hear lots and lots of talk these days about people need to be, know that they are known and, and know that they are heard and, and that they need to know that they are seen. I want you to know that's exactly why Jesus came. He sees you. He knows you. And if you want to launch your life, then you gotta know, even when you're being obedient, you're gonna go against the winds of culture. You're gonna go against the winds of life. And sometimes it's gonna beat against the side of your boat, but don't worry, Jesus never loses sight of you. And when he never loses sight of you, when you get to that place, he will show up. The question is, when he shows up, will you recognize him? Because 11 of the 12 guys in fact, probably 12 out of the 12 
we're not really sure. I mean, you know, Peter did say, hey, if that's you, let me come. But I'm, I'm kind of thinking in the back of his mind, Peter's thinking, I don't really want to leave this boat. <laughs> it looks pretty risky out there. And Jesus said, okay, Peter, come on. And a man, a man whose relationship with Jesus began with fear and trembling and awe now steps into the miraculous. And unlike my friend Daniel Engerin, he did not need the water to freeze. He stepped into the liquid and miraculously, Peter, as long as his eyes are on Jesus, is walking where no one else has ever walked. Friend, that same promise is for you. You can walk where no one else has ever walked. You can walk into the kingdom of God. God designed you. God gave you gifts. God arranged your relationships. God, God made you the person that he created you to be. And when he steps into your discomfort, steps into your storm, and says, come, come ahead, then the question is, will you step out of the boat? And when you step out of the boat, the question is, will you keep looking at Jesus or will you start looking at your discomfort and your storm? Because you see, the third launch point is simply this. Jesus, well, Jesus is present to help us when we focus on him instead of our fear and the storm around us. Uh, look again at, at what the scripture says. Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But I love this phrase. When he saw the wind, you can't see the wind. You can see the results. When he saw the wind, he took his eyes off Jesus and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, look at it. When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly you are the son of God. See, understanding that following Jesus, being obedient to him, will put you in places where you are sailing against the wind, where you're sailing against the culture, where you're not doing what everybody else is doing. You're choosing to, to live by these kingdom standards, and when you do that, it overcomes your fear that Jesus is always watching over you. He never leaves us or forsakes us, and that when that happens, he will come to us exactly when we need him is a way of life that most of us shy away from. A hundred years ago, in 1923, a young African-American man from Daytona Beach, Florida, graduated from Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia. Three years later, he applied for acceptance and was accepted at Colgate Seminary in Rochester, New York. I have affinity for this gentleman for three reasons. Number one, his home in Daytona Beach is a, is a national landmark and it's one mile 
from Whitechapel Church of God. And at the invitation of the president of Bethune-Cookman College while I was there, I began to make regular pilgrimages to this gentleman's boyhood home. See, he left Daytona Beach to go to Morehouse in Atlanta, even though he was raised in this terrible poverty, he was raised in amazing faith. And when he was 18 years old, he had saved enough money to be able to go down to the train station and buy a ticket to go to Atlanta because he'd been accepted at Morehouse. The problem was when he got to the train station, the ticket cost more than the money he had. And this young 18-year-old boy took his all entire earthly possessions in one trunk and he sat them down on the train station. He sat on a bench and he looked and because the cashier would not sell him a ticket. And there was an elderly gentleman who was looking at him and said, son, why are you so distressed? And he said, well, because I'm going to college, but I don't have the money to get there. Well, son, tell me a little bit about what college. I'm going to Morehouse, sir. For an African-American young man from the wrong side of the tracks in Daytona Beach to go to a, what we now refer to as a historically black premier university in Atlanta was a great honor. And this gentleman, who the young man never got his name, looked at him and said, son, if anybody from my hometown has gotten accepted into that school, I'm going to make sure they get there. You keep your money. I'm buying your ticket. And with that ticket in hand, Howard Thurman boarded the train that headed north. In 1923, he graduated. And as I said, was accepted three years later at Colgate in Rochester. See, the deal was, this was a young man from Daytona Beach. This was a young man who went to school in Atlanta. This was a young African-American man who was going to Rochester, New York, to a seminary that had 100 or more students and allowed two African-Americans every year. And oh, by the way, this was in 1926 when Jim Crow ruled. And when he arrived in his autobiography with head and heart, Howard Thurman writes, I felt intimidated by everybody. Their schools were more prestigious than mine. Their words, their verbiage, their demeanor. Every professor was Caucasian. There these, there's this one other African-American and myself. And we're trying to figure out what the culture is and where we go and where we can't go and all of the things that went into that season in the history of our nation. He said, and it was intimidating. And when I got into that setting, there were many nights when I was so anxious and so afraid. And in the middle of that anxiety and in the middle of that fear, I began to remember this poem that my mother and grandmother had taught me. I'll be honest with you, in his autobiography with head and heart, he said, I've tried to research who wrote it and it's that famous guy, anonymous. <laughs> Nobody really knows him. But here are the lyrics to that poem. I'm tired of sailing my little boat safe inside the harbor shore. I wanna go where the big ships float, out on the deep where the great ones are. And should my small craft prove too frail for the waves that sweep the billows o'er, 
I'd rather go down in the stirring fight than drowse to death by the harbor shore. And every time Dr. Thurman said that I would repeat those words, something would rise up inside of me that I now know to be the voice of God saying, I put you exactly where I want you to do exactly what I want to do. This morning, my friends, I want to invite you to that same kind of understanding that your life is not ruled by fear, that you can launch a life in 2024 one that knows that yes, there will be tough days and obedience always brings us into conflict with the greater culture. But Jesus sees you and Jesus knows you by name. And no matter how afraid you are, you can rest in the promise that he will never abandon you and he will walk to where you are even if it takes a miracle like walking on the water calming the winds and the storm. He'll do that for you because he wants your boat to sail on the great seas of life, to do more than you've ever dreamed, to be more than you've ever been because you are his child. There's a great song that talks about what it means to leave behind your fear. For those of you on campus, I'm gonna invite you to stand with me and, and let's worship together as we sing this song. And then I'm gonna come back and pray that what we sing, we go and live. You unravel me with a melody you surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of
lift that up one more time. I'm no longer saved to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer saved to fear. I am a child of God. Earlier in the service, Blake and Johnny let you know about Plant the Way. The Plant series is one that our team developed last summer. The beauty of it is that it's designed for you to be able to use it either individually. For those of you in the online community, you can actually order it through Amazon. There's a link in the chat room today. For those of you on campus, we have copies available. Here's the deal. There are two copies. One is one you can use as an individual for your daily devotions. You can also use that in a small group. And if you don't have a small group of friends that you would like to do life with, then out at the info area this morning, you can sign up and Pastor Kayla and them will be glad to get you into a, a group of folks. There are different ones that meet different places throughout the week. But the third one that I love is for those of you who are parents, there's a third book that's developed. It's, it's for families. And plant simply means prepare your heart, lean into God's word, analyze what you've read, and then listen to the Spirit of God tell you the next steps. And then here's the best part, take those steps. And this is designed to take you through the Gospel of Mark because what many folks don't realize today is that before Christians were ever called Christians, they were called followers of the way of Jesus. And so beginning the week of February 4th, when Josh and Tim are gonna be here to help us celebrate what God does in our lives on the way, we're gonna launch in and this will take us all the way through Easter. And so I wanna invite you today, if you're on campus, you can stop at the info table, pick one of these up. They're $7 a piece. If you don't have the $7, tell Kayla you're on Pastor Kerry's tab, all right? And uh, I'll take care of that for you. But what I want you to know is that this can change your life. Would you let me pray for you? Abba, Papa, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are, for how much you love us, for the way you never lose sight of us and you come to us in the midst of our storms. So today, Lord, I don't know what storms people within the sound of my voice are walking through, but I know that you're with them so I pray that you would help them see that you're not a ghost and you're not an apparition and you're not a figment of their imagination. You are just as real as they are and that you would be in their life leading them on paths of righteousness for your name's sake because that is the way we want to live our lives. Thank you, Father. For it's in the strong name of Jesus that we pray. May the peace of Christ and the love of Jesus himself and the amazing spirit of God lead every step of your life. Go with his peace.